Welcome, everyone, to another continuing conversation. Uh, we never stop talking about Star Trek and Star Trek Adventures RPG. So just know that when, when you get these YouTubes, we're editing them down because we love you and know you have lives. And so we need to make sure that you, you have things to do because I don't know. I don't know if they want to listen to us all day. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures RPG and a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And of course, we have with us today the indomitable, irrefutable J Johnson. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the uh, project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modiphius Entertainment. Love these many years, uh, going on seven years now, seven years, seven, eight years, maybe moving, moving, moving toward eight, I think. We're in season seven now, right now, I think. Um, and uh, co host on this year's show. Low these uh, 60, 70 episodes or something. By the time this one comes out, it'll probably be 70 plus. Uh, so enjoying the, enjoying the ride here. Uh, we still haven't stopped finding things to talk about. There's always something new to talk about. And uh, that's pretty exciting. And uh, excited to have our uh, special guest here tonight. Troy, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Uh, I am uh, Troy Mepians. I am a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. have a couple of adventures, uh, mission briefs under my belt. Um, I am a fantasy novelist, uh, avid game player, have been for over 45 years. So, but uh, Star Trek, I got started in the old FOSA days, uh, came into the playtest for Modiphius, and I've been here ever since. Mm -hmm. And I've been playing as uh, Captain Jalel in Star Trek Pioneer for three years now, a little over three years now. That's right. And oh, there's the hat. Jim's holding it up for all of you. All right, we're in the wrong hand. Should, should wear it just wear this one. <laughs> That's you my have baby. To, you have to honor this captain. I mean, we're <laughs> gonna have a lot of my baby. Next yeah. next episode, I'll wear something different. But tonight, for, <laughs> for just for you, Troy, I'll wear the. Uh, the I appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> he's, earned, he's earned that ship and more. And so mm -hmm. we're gonna talk about that. I mean, honestly, today's gonna be my. I'm gonna call it my ASMR episode because. <laughs> it relaxes me to talk about the voyages of the USS Pioneer and to find out more about Troy, his background, his novels, of course. I, I, I honestly can say in all the time we've talked, Troy, I've never dug deep into your novels and your creative <laughs> process about that and how that translates into the world of Star Trek adventures. Um, so maybe why don't you go ahead and start with us? I, we're going to do the question that we like asking everybody. Of course, we have to ask you as our guest. <laughs> Tell us who your favorite character is in Star Trek and your favorite ship. Okay. Uh, favorite character by far has always been uh, DeForest Kelly's uh, Dr. McCoy. I, I, I adore the man, both outside and, and in the show. Um, he's kind of epitomizes humanity. You know, that, that passion, that fire, that, you know, he's cautious, but he's adventurous. You know, he doesn't take anything laying down, but he has more compassion than anybody on that ship and just you know to see somebody like that in you know 22nd 23rd century you know you're you're so far beyond anything that we know and yet that's a familiar face that's a familiar attitude and you did, kind of go yeah i i want to be him when i grow up did you like his translation into the kelvin universe 
I did. I did. Uh, Carl, Carl Urban was amazing. I mean, just the, I mean, he had the mannerisms, he had the speech. Um, I mean, when he called Spock a green blooded hobgoblin, I literally burst out laughing, <laughs> you know, in the theater because it, it was, it was DeForest. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess uh, Leonard Nimoy actually cried the first time he saw Carl Urban as McCoy. It just said, you know, I wish DeForest could see this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I do agree. He was the best translation of a character uh, we yeah. played. And your favorite series? My favorite series is TNG by just a squeak over uh, the original series. Mm-hmm. This, uh, original series, that's where I first got introduced to Star Trek as a kid when I'd have ear infections and be on the couch and my dad would be up at midnight with me. And, you know, sure enough, on CBS, after the news and the late show, here comes Star Trek, and we'd sit there and watch Star Trek. And then I got into uh, the animated series when Nickelodeon first came on. I was like, ooh, this is Star Trek cartoon. I like this. And kind of went from there. What what earns the squeak of TNG over TOS? I'm curious. Um, I think it's the, you know, in, in the original series, you had very good dynamics, but it was predominantly between the three you know mccoy spock kirk you know you have the trifecta there and then the others as the series went on especially in the movies you saw much more that was much more of an ensemble but next generation was an ensemble cast you know there was no star they were all fantastic characters and you grew to love them you know by by the seventh season you were like no i don't want this to end you know, no, 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 all good things do come to an end like 10 years from now. You know, exactly. yeah, good. Nice to know. I've never asked you these questions. We've been playing <laughs> together for years. Fascinating. Now, I want to know this uh, the Star Trek Adventure story behind Jim Johnson meeting Troy Mepians and you writing for Star Trek Adventures. That's a story I never heard. Should we let Jim start telling it? Uh, sure. shit. If, if I can remember, honestly, <laughs> and no offense to you, Troy, it's just it's been seven years, and uh, oh, and it was uh, Sam Webb. It must have been, yeah, because you were yep. working on the, and I, honestly, I was I was just a writer on the core book. I don't remember if you contributed to the core book as well. No. Um, I'm guessing no. you you had an, you had some adventures in the pipeline, yeah. And um, gosh, I, I have to pull off the book. Um, you, you didn't prepare me, Michael. Um, ends and means, ends and means was the first published adventure, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, ends and means was the first. Yeah, and what I can remember, because like I remember when when Sam handed me the the uh, the reins of pretty much managing the first adventure anthology, while she was trying to wrangle the um, um, the core book, that you know they needed an editor for the for the anthology the adventure anthology just to pull together and i thought i had maybe that was the second one i thought i had like 10 to 12 adventures to pick from to go into the book and then i had a few left over that weren't in the book but that i was still able to do something but i honestly don't remember quite what that conversation mm-hmm. was it was such a long time ago so don't worry and it's not your fault jim first of, first of um, all i want everyone to know i i will defend on jim's behalf he gets so many submissions oh and my I can't imagine how big that pile is of virtual paper on your desk, Jim. Yeah. So I didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> and I know this was a long time ago. Yeah. In and it was uh, uh, actually the, uh, the play test, because I came in on the play test on the Lexington. Uh, yeah. And there was um, kind of like, like a, um, 
almost like an advertisement put out, uh, Sam Webb put out just, you know, hey, we're looking for uh, artists, we're looking for authors, you know, writers. And I just kind of thought to myself, what the heck, you know, give it a shot. Yeah. And so I sent something to uh, Sam and he sent back to me, he says, okay, he says, uh, go ahead and send me your CV. I'm like, okay, sure. You know, I'll get that to you. Mm-hmm. Signed off and went, what the heck is that? I have no idea what a CV is. Mm-hmm. And had to look it up on the internet and was like, oh, okay. You know, basically a resume for artists and got that sent in. And I had ends and means kind of half an idea in the back of my head and got that sent in. And then, you know, like I said, uh, Jim took over and we kind of, you know, put that one to bed not long t- after that. Yeah, I want to talk about that, though, because one of the things I've been noticing with new people coming into Star Trek Adventures, you know, we we call that an old module, but there's no such thing because <laughs> the modules are written to be played in any order that a GM wants to pick it and play it. Right. So yeah. so let's give a fresh introduction to ends and means because um, it's a oldie but goodie. Um, so it's it's fresh. So talk to us a little bit about what the synopsis of that story was and okay. how a game master could could use it. Uh, Ends and Means is the the classic um, diplomacy, you know, riding the fence between two factions, trying to keep them from each other's throats. Uh, basically, the premise of the story is uh, there's a world, Tolan 4. Tolan 4 is a protectorate, you know, of the uh, Federation, has not become a member yet. Uh, very rich in industrial metals and that kind of thing. So very much something that the Federation wants to, you know, deal with. But the Tolans are known for their independence. And they are very much, they're very similar to Tellarites in the fact they love their debates. Um, And two distinct factions have set up. One that wants to join the Federation, and that's the government the planetary government. And then there's a, a section called the, uh, they call themselves separatists, which, you know, kind of a misnomer because they, they, they don't want to join the Federation, but they don't necessarily want to just, you know, throw everything off. Some of them would like to, you know, take their own, you know, place on the, the galactic stage, but, um, a, is the prime and then it, this would be for new players and game masters a good time to play around with the prime directive? I take it. Uh, no, um, because they're a protectorate, they've already had contact. Uh, yeah. Prime directive is not in play here. Um, they are a spacefaring race, you know, albeit considerably more primitive than the Federation. They've only had faster than light travel for maybe two, three years. Um, and because they're not a member of the Federation, they were approached by a Ferengi to oversee their interstellar trade. <laughs> so you have you a have Ferengi in the mix on all this too. Exactly. And, okay, good. Um, basically, there's a summit that's supposed to happen. Um, the government originally wanted the summit to take place on a Federation starship, and the separatists went, you're out of your mind. So they made an agreement that because Starfleet has superior technology they could provide security for the summit and then go from there and of course you know a terrorist attack is foiled and right that's a fascinating take i love it i know we were talking a couple weeks ago about playing security officers so uh this Mm -hmm. sounds like it would be a great one for security officers. oh absolutely 
Absolutely. And then, and then tell us how you got into writing too. This here's a story I haven't heard either. Did, did your novels come first or did they come after Ends and Means? Uh, they, they came first, uh, much earlier. Um, I actually got started writing, believe it or not, short stories trying to emulate Tom Clancy when I was 13. So <laughs> I still have the notebooks and I still cringe whenever I look at them. But uh, it was 20 years later before I actually uh, published anything. And I was you know, working retail at the time. I was in a lunchroom and I drew a fantasy map on a napkin. And the first novel was written 30 days later at 495 pages. Go for it. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and what's the name of your first novel? Uh, Paladin's Quest, uh, Riddle of the Horned Gate. And how can people find it? Amazon? Uh, yep, it's on Amazon. Um, Barnes & Noble has it. Uh, Lulu.com has it. Uh, it is a trilogy. So there's uh, Paladin's Quest, Riddle of the Horned Gate. There's End of the Darkness. And then Battle for Creation Font. Wow. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. I, I, and now you've got me going on a rabbit hole. And I've been meaning to ask this to Jim the other day. I said, Troy, you just opened up a can of words. I wanted to know, for all the time we all talk, everybody who listens into this podcast, I want you to know that me and Jim really only really talk about Star Trek Adventures 99.9% .9 of the time on this. But there's <laughs> things I don't know about uh, him sometimes, and maybe he doesn't know about me. Your first job ever, Jim, what was your first job ever that you had? <laughs> My first job ever? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I had, uh, um, well, my, my dad had, had a, had a coworker who, uh, who on the side ran, made, made up his own, um, hubcap shop because basically we lived in an area, there was a huge amount of commuting and, uh, and my dad's friend had a pickup truck and like every day on his commute, he would be driving down the road and like he knew where all the potholes were on this main drag. And so he'd always pull over and throw the hubcaps into the back of his truck. And, and he gradually taught himself how to refurbish them, like oh, how to no. fix them. And like, especially like the old ones. Um, I don't know if they still make them these days, but like the, like the Cadillacs and the certain other kinds of hubcaps have like little metal spokes in them that mm -hmm. are really fragile. And they, and they like the hubcap like snaps into place and holds those spokes into place on top of the other hubcap. Anyway, so this guy just like collected hubcaps and, and uh, rims. And, um, and he had, a, I mean, literally he had like a, like a, like a panel van and he would have this thing full of, um, of hubcaps and, and rims. And he leased a little space on the weekends where he just kind of like pull over <laughs> basically on the side <laughs> near 7-Eleven and just sell stuff out of the back of his truck. And, uh, he was successful enough that people would come to him with their broken hubcaps and say, can you fix this for me? Can you, can you refurbish it or whatever? And uh, just, you know, my dad thought I needed a summer job. So he talked to this guy and the guy said, well, I can bring him on for you know weekends on during the summer or something just to see what happens. And uh, I mean, it was like $5 an hour. It was, you know, it was, it was a step above child labor, but I, was, I think I was, <laughs> I must've been 15, I guess. Right. And uh, for the most part, I didn't really do anything other than just, uh, um, talk to the customers until until he was ready to talk to them, and uh, maybe I'd polish up some hubcaps or something. Uh, but most of the time, I was just the guy would just hand me like twenty bucks and tell me to go walk over to Seven Eleven to get lunch for us, and you know I get I get hot dogs and Slim Jims and uh, some sodas, and uh, just you know just it gave me something to do on Dream the job for. I mean, it was it was all right, but uh, you know it was uh, I was a grease monkey kind of because uh, I got my hands really dirty getting the hubcaps clean, 
which was fine, you know, and then I graduated to food services after that. <laughs> That's comic book money. I mean, for me, I only worked for comic books originally. Yeah. I mean, it was it was barely even comic book money because like I'd only work a couple hours and most of that money I'd spend spend at the 7-Eleven getting snacks while we were uh, waiting for more customers, you know. Um, so yeah, that was that was my first job. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that. See, and Troy, you said retail. That's what sparked this. What was your yeah. first job then? Right. Um, my first job actually was working for a, uh, a school bus driver that I rode his bus mm. and he ran a uh, upholstery business out of his garage. So I would go there after school, ride my bike over there, and I would strip the furniture, strip the fabric off the furniture for him. And I would get paid by the piece. And then when he would go to deliver it or pick it up, he'd have me with him and I'd get paid by the piece for that, too. And I did that till. Yeah, I was 15. Wow. When I finally, you know, graduated like Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But so, yeah, I mean, customer service has been pretty much everything I've done. Yeah, that's awesome. It's fascinating that I, I, I my, me and my brother and my sister, we, at age 11 is when I started working landscaping. So we would take the lawnmower, a rake, and the br- the broom, and we would mm-hmm. walk around. And we lived in a really small town. So people would know that as we're walking, they five ten $10, like, hey, yeah, do my lawn. Yeah, do my backyard. Yep. And and I did that till age 13 till I started working at a Chinese restaurant as a short order cook and dishwasher. Nice. Um, oh wow. And, yeah. And that was fun because boy, the food was great. And I learned <laughs> how to cook Chinese food on yeah. a walk and all that kind of yep. stuff. Oh, that's cool. That's that's more interesting than I worked at a so I was in, in the what was it, Rhode Island and uh, I was working at the Newport Creamery. Uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if the one in Barrington is still there, but uh, love to the Barrington Newport Creamery if you're still in existence. I know the Newport Creamery is still open, but I don't know if all their branches are still open. But uh, it was basically like a friendlies, so it was an ice cream shop plus a short order stuff. So you know, learning how to cook uh, burgers and eggs and pancakes and fries and you know all that stuff, in addition to serving up the ice cream. And uh, you know, it was it was a great experience. I mean, I really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, surprisingly, I, I didn't think I would like you know doing food service and cooking and stuff, but it was. Once once we got into a rhythm, it was it was really fun to mm-hmm. uh, pull it all together. I'm glad I asked that. I'm glad I asked. That. I'm sure there's some connection to Star Trek here, but <laughs> uh, yes, there is. You know what you know what the you know what the uh, you know what the connection is to Star Trek yeah. Adventures. These are our focuses. These could be some of our focuses, right? These are the little known focuses that we might have on our character sheet that might not ever get used. But if we have a clever game master, then the, the clever game master might look at that <laughs> sheet and go, "Hey, Jim, you're uh, you're uh, your first officer has." Uh, as short order cooking as a fact focus. What's up with that? I was so, going for hubcaps. It's like hubcap right. repair. Hub yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's almost an engineering focus right there. <laughs> that's funny. Well, if, if you've ever worked retail, diffuse the tension is a real thing. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Good yeah, I, did, I did the retail detail for many, many years. So uh, well it familiar is, with that. Well, and, and I guess the lesson could be too is, is our Starfleet characters in the game weren't always adults and they mm-hmm. probably had first jobs also and that'd be some interesting backstory to write maybe someone maybe someone was mentored by a Ferengi you know at (laughs) at a business retail location while on a space station that would really change a human's perspective on oh boy trade wouldn't that be cool yeah could could patience society to capitalism (laughs) (laughs) could could patience be a focus I don't see why not right definitely with the customer service thing yeah Yep. Conflict resolutions could totally be. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. Conflict yeah. resolution. Oh, yeah. Especially, especially at Christmas time. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. I worked yeah. at Ross Dress for Less 
as, at age 15, I switched to working for Ross. And I remember one of my favorite stories. I got to tell it. This is my first time telling it in a public scenario. I used to have to work the register during the holidays and stuff like that. And you know, it, my, I came from a very small town, Pacific. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd say it's small because I like literally knew like everybody at every store and na- many of the neighbors. And so I'm checking the mayor at that time out. Um, and they're uh, check is not accepted. It gets bounced. And then the credit card. And I remember I was a smart, smart Alec kid at 15. I said, boy, I hope you're not managing our city funds like this. Oh my God. <laughs> my manager, I felt the back pull on my collar and, uh-huh. and I had a stern talking to about customer service. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, that was <laughs> That was always that was always an awkward moment when uh, I, at one point I worked at a uh, a luggage and uh, leather goods retail kind of store and um, and we sold like the high end uh, suitcases and briefcases and stuff like that and uh, it was always awkward when when somebody would come in to buy something and they'd have like and this was the nineties right so everybody had a lot of credit cards right mm-hmm. and so they'd open up their little uh, their little big big um, accordion plastic accordion of credit cards right. And they'd start at the top and it's like, well, that one was declined. And then they'll go to the next one. Uh, that one was declined. And we go to the next one. And then they got like three or four people lining up behind him waiting to be checked out. And it's like, this is just a little awkward. Like, and I was a 16-year-old snot nosed kid, right? It's like, I don't know any better. But so I'll just keep my mouth shut and just be patient mm-hmm. and wait for them to find the credit card that'll actually go through. But uh, it, was a, oh. it was a weird time, man. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Okay. Back yeah. to Troy. Anyway, We're going to Star- review Troy. Star Trek. <laughs> I like it. But you know, I think, I honestly think we should do a little bit more of that, Jim, because sometimes, you know, it helps us uh, understand our background. But Troy, sure. I want to talk to you now, going back to Star Trek Adventures, you've played various role-playing games um, mm-hmm. in your life. Tell us about what separates Star Trek Adventures in your mind from anything else you've ever played. Um. Star Trek Adventures is, I mean, number one, it's ensemble, very much an ensemble game. Um, you know, you're you're working as a team even more than you know, say like a party in D and D. You know, you're you're in D and D. You're relying on each other because if you don't, you're going to die. You know, in Star Trek, you're working towards common goals. You're working for the betterment of other people. And, you know, as well as yourself and, you know, your shipmates and all of that, it's, you know, kind of beyond the, the norm. You know, you're, you're not defaulting to conflict. You're trying to avoid it. You know, you're exploring, you're, you're learning, you're trying to understand, um, you're trying to see things from different points of view, and you're challenging yourself and your fellows at the table to think and possibly act differently than they normally would, you know, consider things, you know, morally that you don't normally see in a lot of these other games, you know, it's okay. I hit him for so many points of damage. He falls dead. I grab the gold and I leave, you know, this is, I have a you know really hard decision to make and there's no right decision to make. You know, what do I do? How do you, if if you were to give advice to a game master, yeah, some people get are getting intimidated. They might get intimidated by the core rule book and be like, ooh, how am I going to teach my players the core rule book? <laughs> What's your opinion on that, though? How would you, what advice would you give to a new game master and new players? Um, 
honestly, the way that I have done it and the way that I've told other people to do it is just one step at a time. Um, Rescue by Xerxes is a fantastic first scenario for a GM because it walks you through everything, you know, and, and people get intimidated by, you know, extended tasks, that kind of thing. And it's like, just break it down one at a time, you know, one time, you know, so-and-so does this or so-and-so does that. And then you're, you're essentially, especially if they're coming from like D and D or something like that, you're rolling damage against the task. You know, the resistance is armor class. You're trying to get past that so you can do more damage to the work track. And it's amazing how they're, you know, the lights will go on and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's it's finding that toehold. And you're running games at conventions too, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, I've been running uh, Star Trek Adventures uh, since it released. Because wow. I've the... run uh, ends and means, wow, at least a dozen times. I've run it at Gen Con. Um, so, so you're creating new players? Are they pretty much after they play, picking up the books, yeah. or what are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, in fact, uh, one of my friends from my Sunday night D and D game came out to uh, the local convention last year and sat at my table. Never played the game before. No, I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. And when we finished with the first mission, he walked right over to the table of the, the local game shop and bought the core rule book and the starter set. Wow. At conventions, Jim, if someone wants to run a game, I mean, do, do they just walk up to the Modiphius booth and just say, let me run a game? How does that work usually if, if Modiphius uh, is at a booth or something? Well, I mean, back back in the day, that's kind of how it happened, except at Gen Con, because Gen Con, you have to register for your events and you have to schedule all the, all this stuff. But uh, nowadays, we actually have a uh, event coordinator. Uh, and so you can email Modifius. You can email, email support at Modifius.com um, or you can email me direct if you want, Jim Johnson, jim.johnson at Modifius.com. I'll get you in touch with the uh, events coordinator. Um, we don't have the budget to hit every con because there's so many big cons and little cons. Uh, but we're trying to hit the big ones and we're we're trying to build and like I'm not specifically for Star Trek, but Medifius is trying to build that stronger infrastructure and connections of um, of game masters and people willing to support our games at conventions all around the world, not just the mm-hmm. United States, but, you know, in, in Europe and other places, too. Uh, so um, and, and that's something that we didn't have even like three years ago, I think, you know, we were, we were still, of course, you know, that was a pandemic too, right? But pre-pandemic, we weren't quite as organized and now we're getting more organized and you'll see more and more convention um, events happening with the Modifius, you know, seal of approval or whatever you want to call it. I know we have, we have, uh, our, our events coordinator has big aspirations and it's just a matter of getting all the pieces in the place and then making it happen. So yeah, if you're interested in, in, in running uh, games at our conventions, by all means, reach out. I th- I want to say anecdotally, I think uh, I think Al Al Spader was going to do some uh, convention games for Modifius, and I think he told me that um, like uh, GMs are expected to know at least three different games, three different Modifius games, so that you're not just running the same thing all weekend long. You're actually giving you know players and and the fans a, a spread of options. So like you know, go learn. I mean, of course, two D twenty. Most of the most of the games are two D twenty, right? So. Right. You know, learn learn Dune, learn Star Trek, and learn I don't know Fallout or Homeworld or um, 
Um, well, one of the other ones, Conan. Well, not Conan. It's just where you're. We're, John John Carter. John Carter. Right? John, John Carter. Yeah, that'd be an option too. Yeah, so I think that's good. I, I wanted to ask that question because cons are coming back, and so mm-hmm. I, I I mean I'm not looking forward to being in big crowds. I've never I wasn't like that before. <laughs> you know, I go to San Diego Comic Con and I'm whipped for a week afterwards. You know, yeah. so, but but I do see the importance of it, and um, I've been seeing. I, I know we had a commitment, you know, our personal commitments we made, Jim, and stuff like that. Are like, oh, teach one person to play a year. You know, like introduce one person, and I know. Um, I hadn't been tabletop gaming in years before the pandemic because I was all online, of course, mm-hmm. not at all during the pandemic. And now I've just started again tabletop gaming with a new group of fresh people who three of them never even watched a Star Trek episode before. And they're mm-hmm. all begging for my books now and buying. But, you know, they, yep. And I, that's fun. That's fun to see. So I know, Troy, that was one. Of, that's one of your uh, focuses is is uh, gaming at conventions. And mm-hmm. so I want with it coming back, I was wondering how people can get into that if they want to. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you know, try to look for a local. And that's kind of how I got started. Um, the local one here in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, we've got Western Michigan University, like literally around the corner from where I live. Um, and they have a, a gaming group that sets up a convention called Marmalade Dog. And this is the 26th year. Um, of course we skipped 2020, but I've been going 24 out of the 26 and I've run games at almost all of them. And for the last seven years, I've run almost exclusively Star Trek adventures. Wow. Amazing. That's good. And it's a safe way to one to run for kids too, of all age. I think that's what's mm -hmm. fun. I I play with my nieces and nephews. And so that makes a difference. The, uh, the first one I ran that wasn't at marmalade dog you know my backyard uh there's a convention in ypsilanti michigan which is just outside ann arbor where university of michigan is um and i ran a mission there and it was literally my table was a dad his brother and their three sons all Mm -hmm. under the age of 12 and the beauty of it was at the very end and this is the end of ends of beans. So they're chasing down the bad guy at the end. The youngest of them, who was like nine, took the uh, shuttlecraft that they were in and pulled that stunt that uh, Picard did in Insurrection, used the magnet to grab onto Data's ship. Mm-hmm. He did that. And he rolled, uh, what was it? He had a full hand of dice. He rolled three uh, critical successes and two regular successes. <laughs> I, i've never seen a role like that at convention never did people cheer did they cheer oh, yeah i think that whole table just erupted that's awesome and he was on cloud nine the whole rest of the weekend i bet oh and what like, a great what a great feeling yeah i love yep. it that's amazing well thank, Only, thank you uh, I, I didn't appreciate just how much convention <laughs> support you were doing the game over all these years so I mean, I can't, I can't thank you enough. So thank you for being the, I mean, this is what we need, right? I mean, honestly, any game that's not D and D you need dedicated players and game masters running this thing and, and, and converting new fans without the support of the company. Like, I mean, I'm sure Modiphius would love to do something, but there's only so much the company can do, you know, in terms of swag and stuff. But uh, I mean, this, and then, and I mean, and like I've heard, I've, I've heard similar stories from a few other folks, not quite to your level of dedication, but I mean, that, that's just so encouraging to hear the, 
the health of the fan base is really important. So I'm I'm grateful for that. So thank you for everything you've done. Oh, I love it. I, I I look forward to Marmalade Dog every year. I've got it coming up next weekend, and I'm chomping at the bit. Yeah. Now, now I want to. Where are they now for that nine year old kid? Like, oh, I know. <laughs> does I, he I watch Star Trek now? Yeah, yeah. Do they oh, want to start? Yeah. If, if by any chance the people who are sitting at that table tune into continuing <laughs> conversations, maybe the the dad and uncle play it. Please yeah. give us a follow up on that because I would love to know if they're now a Star Trek addict. I love Star Trek. Yeah, like yeah, boy. Yeah, I tell you because like you never know what's going to be a what's going to be a a, um, a a bedrock foundational moment for mm-hmm. for a person, right? I mean that that moment. I mean, you know, not to. Not to be too too crazy, but I mean that moment could be really important in terms of like self confidence and development, sure. or storytelling, or leadership. I mean, there's any number of things that could that could be built right off of that, and uh, and just blossom into something something different. So I also really think cool. the neuroscience behind it is I truly believe you cannot get as much excitement from a video game where you're constrained no. yeah. as you can from a tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. And I've played mm-hmm. it for years and I've seen people introduced to it. Mm-hmm. And yep. that chemical thing that was going on in his head that he came up with an idea and he yes. was stressed out about it. And then he was resoundingly successful and being cheered on. That doesn't yep. happen in video games. It really no. doesn't. And, I, and that's what, what, what made me sad when I really first started, you know, GMing outside of my circle of friends was at the local hobby shop and I would be running a game or something like that. And I would have mothers coming up to me and saying, can you teach my child how to play this game? Because they don't know how to use their imagination. Oh, wow. And that just crushed me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how? Oh. And I, that's when I kind of started, you know, what I almost call my crusade is we need to get these kids doing this. You know, so they can learn to use that imagination because that's going to help them become better later on in life, mm-hmm. you know, to be able to think beyond, you know, just that four walls thing, you know, mm-hmm. and a safe environment too. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot, it's interesting, um, a comment from one of the new players who never watched um, Star Trek before until last night after we played um, <laughs> was what there was a point in the game where he was looking super confused mm-hmm. and we had to stop. And I said, what's going on in your mind right now? And he's like, well, I'm not quite sure what to do. I said, yeah, but you have an opinion. He's like, oh, definitely. I'm like, then voice your opinion. And I said, Absolutely. this is what the game is about. If voice mm-hmm. your character's opinion. Once he went over that threshold he mm-hmm. he got up and at the end he was like that was mind blowing and he's a big video gamer big into Japan animation and stuff like that mm-hmm. and 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 we ha- we had to stop because it was already getting late and he's like when are we playing again I was like that's what yep. I mean. thank you and he and he, this morning he texted me it's just he's he, I just saw the light click on like wow that was like really amazing and I told him yeah. what you did was theater theater of the mind and I mm-hmm. said you just learned how powerful this kind of gaming is and it was nice yep. to see. Boy, I tell you, as, as a game master, those are the best five words to hear, isn't it? When are we playing again? Oh, like, when, absolutely. When can we get back to it? When can we? When can we get together yeah. again? That's such a good feeling. Oh, I love it. Yeah, we're uh, booked for Sunday after next. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. Nice. nice. So yeah. I, I want to, I want to ask Troy. So, like, I mean, obviously, I love, I love this, this, you know, quote unquote crusade that you're on. Um, I, I'm not going to say Star Trek is the bee's knees, but I think. There aren't that many RPG franchises out there that are built on such a foundation that Star Trek has in terms of the diversity and the inclusion and the equity and the 
and the teamwork and the and the 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 overall positive attitude. I mean, of the franchise as a whole. Maybe specific series aren't quite as positive or quite not quite as bright. But like like that's and I, I want to hear your perspectives, especially at, at convention experiences. Like that whole thing is really hard to d- d- distill down into an easily digestible format for a newbie to Star Trek. Like who doesn't know squat about Star Trek? Even in this day and age, after 56 years, there's still people who don't really know anything about Star Trek, but are curious about the game. Like, how do you, especially if they're coming in from a D&D primary, not, not to pick on D&D, but if they're coming from a, a fantasy gaming background, let me put it that way, because there are other fantasy games yeah. out there. How do you sell them on Star Trek? Because it's so different, <laughs> right? I'm right. uh, just curious to hear your perspectives on that. Um, what, I, what I found is most of the players that are curious about Star Trek Adventures they are already looking for something different. You know, they, they, they're kind of tired of the hack and slash, and they're usually the ones that are playing D&D for the role-playing and not for just, you know, kill the monster and get treasure. Yeah. So when they come to the table and they'll ask me what it's all about, and I'll kind of give them the lowdown, okay, you know, this is, you know, 23rd century, 24th century, whatever. You know, mankind has moved beyond need, beyond you know, nearly wiping ourselves out in a nuclear war mm-hmm. and has kind of spearheaded, you know, the the thrust into space, exploration, you know, war is anathema. It's, you know, the absolute last resort. And that intrigues them. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's something that's so different yeah. that it, it kind of piques their interest. And they're like, okay, this would be a role-playing challenge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hit them with something like, you know, ends and means or, you know, um, I mean, any one of, you know, the 200 and some odd, however many missions we've got now. And to watch them start wrapping their head around it. Mm-hmm. And then you see people starting, you know, especially at conventions, you'll get people who, you know, they finished their game or whatever, and they'll sit around the table and watch you know, how this is going. Cause I, last year we had some very animated discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I ran on Saturday and Sunday, uh, Saturday, we had a person actually resign his commission on the bridge over a decision that the captain had made that he had protested. Wow. And on Sunday we had an officer uh, unilaterally make a decision that basically lobotomized an entire race. Yeah. And that table <laughs> erupted. I mean, I got to give it, there was something I did yesterday for the first time ever where they were going through a debate. We were playing Christopher Bennett's Stolen Liberty. Mm. Amazing if you want the prime directive discussion with newbies. I mean, it's equal to me as Battle of Xerxes. I think it was built that, uh, or the Rescue of Xerxes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, because they were haggling a little bit, I, there's a point where a ship's about to be destroyed and occupants will die if you don't rescue them. I actually put a five-minute timer on my phone and held it up. <laughs> a countdown timer. And, oh, I'm going to be doing this way more in life because they <laughs> knew they had limited time and mm-hmm. are they going to violate the prime directive? And I thought that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen them do because likewise, mm-hmm. the, their new science officer, the one who I told you had the epiphany, like this was the greatest mm-hmm. thing ever, mm-hmm. disagreed with the rescue disagreed that the people should be brought on board but had to struggle obeying the captain and then another new player who was playing the second officer says 
you're an ensign. You're about to disobey. This is your first mission. And you're about the first thing you're going to do in Starfleet is disobey your command officer. And they were going at it like that. Oh, yeah. And I remember with four seconds to spare, he said, fine, <laughs> activate that. transporters. And it was just the most, <laughs> that stress level, he says, oh, that, oh, that was amazing. It was so, only RPG gets you that, you know? Yep. Yeah, well, and and let's, let's be fair. I think the that works really well with the right group. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I know I've played with a couple of players that if I gave them a literal ticking clock right in front of their face, their their anxiety would be to the point where they just couldn't they wouldn't be able to play the game because that would that would take them out of the game and into like real life triggering and being stressful and stuff. And it's like so if you have the right group, great technique. Mm-hmm. I, I've used it a time or two, but um, but I, I'm glad it worked for you, Michael, because that's that that is a really cool you know, experience to, to be in. And like, you were probably literally watching the phone, right? Oh, here it comes, here it comes. What's going to happen? And, 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 and it was funny, one of our friend's wives who wasn't playing, she was sitting off to the yeah. side and she's watching the clock freaking out. Like, yeah, I tell you, man, that, that's one of the things I love. I mean, I, I, we're so blessed in this day and age for role-playing games that, that we have Twitch and YouTube and streamers and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And, and the, like, there's so many people playing the game and uploading their stuff to for it to be you know played and enjoyed it's like and i have to be really careful about not dialing into these things to to watch them because like i get sucked in and like i'll get i'll get engrossed and i'll, I'll be just watching them play their characters and role playing and getting into the situations mm-hmm. and they get these beautiful moral dilemmas thrown at them and it's like oh what do you do and then you're like watching the chat bar on the side like the actors are trying to figure out what they're going to do and then you got the you got the peanut gallery on the side oh they should do this they should do that blah 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 <laughs> and like sometimes you can see the actors are looking at the chat window but then sometimes mm-hmm. I, I see some of them are like no i'm just going to focus on what i'm doing here they, they just turn off the chat window or they just try to zone it out or something it's like oh what an interesting uh what an interesting new angle to playing games now that we have now that we haven't really had before where you actually you're, you're playing in front of an audience and the mm-hmm. audience is kind of kibitzing, and you're actually able to see their reactions. It's like, oh, what do I do? It's like live TV. It's like a 24th to the next level or something. It's real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a reality it's show cool. about a non-reality thing, which is yeah, really it's weird. Really <laughs> it's cool. I mean, it's so much. It's so much fun to watch yeah. them. Yeah, my latest things, obsession. Um, my latest obsession is seeing how people play the same module or mission brief. I, yeah. I, and so mm-hmm. I, I'm telling you right now, if you're a continuing mission fan and you know I post up reviews and post play reports, send them to me. I don't care if I've already posted about something. The various endings that happen and the way different people twist and build the modules differently mm-hmm. than Master campaigns is actually yeah. a total fascination of mine. Um, yeah. I, I just It just shows how our minds are as endless as the universe and mm-hmm. we can come up with so many different angles. Yeah, I, I love it. I mean, I, I have to admit that as, as a writer and as the project manager, it makes me so happy to see that we we throw these toolkits out there because I mean, every module, every every mission brief, every adventure we write, it's all it's all toolkit, right? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, you, you, I, we encourage the game masters and the players to mix and match and mold it to their to their to their needs. And they're doing it. It's so cool mm-hmm. to read to, to watch like two different versions of the same module. It's like, wow, they really went in a different direction there, didn't they? <laughs> and, and then like I can read the Discord or I can read the Facebook or something, and somebody will say, "Oh, I, re- I ran such and such an adventure, and all this stuff happened." And then I tweaked it to to do this. And I was like, "Oh yeah, I never even thought of that." And, and like all the and then other fans, you know, pile in and, and add their own perspectives. So. I, I'm grateful to see that that's working as intended. Right? No one's running the exact same module the exact same way. Which is like like 
my dream ideally like I, I never wanted to say that i wanted to get away from like the old the old school D modules like you know everybody ran keep on the borderlands and we oh, all yeah. had that common shared experience but it wasn't like in in my limited experience of talking to people but it was all kind of the same like we all yeah. ran we all had that same experience which is cool on a certain level right we all have that mm -hmm. shared common common backstory but it's it's just different to hear them say, oh, we you know ten different play ten different groups played uh, ends and means, and they came at it from ten different ways, and they had ten different solutions, and it's all but it all works right, and uh, it's just like oh that's how how can, you can't bottle that like if I could bottle that I'd make a million dollars, but yeah, <laughs> anyway anyway it's just cool I'm just going off on a tangent here so leave me be. No, I actually like it because I was gonna this graduates over to where I was gonna ask Troy next. Yeah, Troy. I know you played in multiple games. Of course, I have the honor of having you play in our game, but you played in, I know, in other campaigns. Do you know how many different modules and mission briefs you've probably played through that, that are actually Star Trek Adventures, not homegrown, but mm. you were to risk against? Um, I would say it's right about 45, between 45 and 50. Nice. And so my question to you, because maybe for the players who are tuning in, um, how does it keep from being redundant for you? I mean, it's space. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, Star Trek, are there really that many interesting things to talk about? What's what, how would you answer that? Well, the, the beauty of it is there is, you know, space is by definition infinite. You know, there is, I mean, if you, if you want a planet that has a bunch of green skinned rabbits running around with ray guns, trying to shoot each other, it's probably out there somewhere make it up run with it you know and every gm has a different approach you know they they focus on different things so you might have one that's all about you know setting up strange new worlds they're all about you know the exploration the the discovering of new planets the discovering of new civilizations new creatures and that's their wheelhouse and then you'll have some that are, you know, desperately into the, uh, you know, political intrigue and all that kind of thing. You know, um, the the first Star Trek Adventures campaign that I played in was uh, a one season uh, USS Seafire because the the gentleman that was running it, his grandfather was building Seafire uh, fighter planes for World War II. So he named the ship after the Seafire. And I played the uh, medical officer on the ship. And he actually took one five-second scene out of Deep Space Nine and built an entire year-long campaign around it. Wow. It, it blew my mind. It was the scene in, um, in DS9 where the Klingons had attacked uh, DS9. There was kind of that lull. And somebody handed Gowron a pad. He read it, and that's when they pulled back. And his question that defined that entire series was, why? What was on that pad? Mm. And it was our actions through that entire campaign that led to that pad reaching his hands. Oh, that's cool. It, it was amazing. <laughs> okay, so then I'm going to ask you just to prove this to the people who are listening. Um, out of all your playing Star Trek adventures, favorite planet you've ever been on? Mm, boy, I'm gonna ask Jim this too. These questions are gonna go. Um, it, it's 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 kind of gonna show my bias, you know, for my character. But Romulus, Romulus fascinates me. 
you know, it, it's so similar to Earth. You know, it, it's very water rich. It's very natural resources rich, or was, you know, depending on what timeline you're in. But the civilization is so different, you know, yeah. but it, it has, you know, the, the people there still have the same feelings, the same emotions, the same love of family, the same devotion to each other that we do. And yet for, you know, 40, 50 years, we just always looked at them as the bad guys, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You've done a good job uh, explaining true Romulan culture in our game. Jim, favorite planet one of your characters has ever touched on? Oh, man. Uh, Jesus. That's all. <laughs> so many. After so many years of role playing. Uh I, I did have some good experiences on Romulus. I, I will not lie about that. Um, I, it, it must have been a, it must have been a planet called Euridia. E U R. I mean, Euridia as a word has kind of been coming up in Star Trek a lot in different spellings. And at the time, I mean, this is the '90s. We came up with one of our own. Um, at the time, my group was coming off of a three-year campaign on a on a galaxy class ship, and we were ready for something different. And of course, at that time, DS9 was big on the big on the screen. We we're like, let's do a ship. Let's do a you know a, a station campaign. So we created instead of it being a space station, we made it a planetary station, and we created this planet uh, called Euridia. And we said, well, why don't, why, why don't we call it Outpost Euridia? So this this uh, outpost is on the planet, and there's weird stuff going on on the planet. There's weird stuff going on in space. There's weird anomalies on the planet. There's uh, horrific uh, storms that come up every six months. So we're in isolation for six months and there's also weird creatures and blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, we packed this planet full of weird, cool stuff that we were intending to explore over the course of the campaign uh, in addition to the stuff that was in space. And um, we only ran like four sessions of this campaign, but those four sessions were so cool because it was it was not going out into the galaxy and exploring. It was exploring the planet that we were on and I mean, I mean, even like Earth, there's still places on Earth that people haven't explored yet because there's still so much to discover here, much mm-hmm. less out in space. But uh, it was just really it was a cool change of pace. And I was excited because I was playing a junior officer for the first time. I, I went from playing the captain of the ship to playing the like a junior lieutenant JG, uh, anthropology and archaeology um, expert. And uh, and he was just fun to play. Uh, but we got into all kinds of hijinks on the planet. So it was just a fun experience. But uh oh. We we did have other you know we did we hit some of the classic planets too over the years yeah, but I think that was like, that was my most unique fun experience was that was that planet okay good yeah I like asking this because I want people to know that these are life experiences that actually get yeah. embedded into us a little bit so Troy yeah. your favorite first contact well you may, Michael you have to answer that question first oh <laughs> me oh yeah. favorite planet yeah um, I'm gonna have to answer from a game master's perspective because mostly I do sure. game mastering and I would have yeah. to say it's a planet that I created called Baradisia. And um, it was where actually Tro's character first started flirting with his future wife, the Betazoid Athena Pagan. <laughs> but it was a paradise planet. It was it was a planet mm-hmm. of peace, and it was a, at a time when the ship needed a respite from action and death and despair um, mm-hmm. after they had been stranded million uh, thirteen point seven million light years away in a different galaxy, and they just needed that break. And I just remember how relaxing that planet was, and I could tell they mm-hmm. regretted leaving it. They knew they had to leave, but mm-hmm. I knew no one wanted to leave. And some of the crew made the option to stay, actually. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. just to, to, so I just love the peace that that planet brought. Into yeah. Me. Nice. All right. Troy, favorite first contact ever. 
Um, my very first contact actually was in uh, Fossa Track, and we were getting ready to um, make the jump from uh, original series era, movie era, to uh, Next Generation. And I had been running the game most of the time, and one of my buddies was like, hey, I want to run this game. I want to do the transition. And I'm like, okay, you know, take the reins. And he created a planet that at first everybody thought was just, it was dead. You know, just strange radiations and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, at long range, we had determined um, there was, you know, some kind of a warp signature, just really odd warp signature. And we ended up encountering the remnants of the civilization that had been there. And the planet ended up, you know, basically tearing itself apart. But that first contact was, there's something out there that, that is so infinitely more than we are. It, it was basically like uh, Kirk and Spock encountering the Organians. You know, and by the end of uh, a two-part episode, we came out of a uh, time-space rift about 10,000 meters off the forward bow of the USS Enterprise D with, you know, Jean-Luc Picard going, uh, USS, you know, USS Intrepid, where did you come from? Mm -hmm. Interesting. Cool. First contact sounds like Cos Cosmozoan almost. But Jim, mm -hmm. your favorite first contact. Oh, man. Uh... These are important questions. These are memorialized. <laughs> they're, they're important questions, but when you've been playing Star Trek Adventure, or when you've been playing Star Trek RPGs for 30-odd years, there's just so many, right? Because I, I was fortunate that I, I played the captain or the first officer a lot, and my game master was really good at coming up with moral dilemmas that were tied into first contact. I mean, you know, a lot of first contacts are really good moral dilemmas because there's always this difference of perspective and stuff. Um, I mean, there's so many great ones. I think, uh, I, I guess one of the ones that was a favorite only because of the group dynamic and the way we ended up role-playing it in a, like a physical manner in terms of like splitting the room is um, the, uh, during the course of the adventure, the captain and the first officer discovered that their that their consciousnesses had been transferred into the bodies of an alien captain and first officer, who were uh, determined to rebel against their culture, and and not drive their ship into the sun to commit sac to sacrifice themselves for the greater good or whatever. And and so like we suddenly became these alien captains and first officers, and we're like we don't want to die, but wait a minute, <laughs> we're we're. This is their culture, right? This is this is this is important to the crew. Like we were talking to all the crew, and like, why are you doing this? And they're like, why are you even questioning this? This is a noble, bold, you know, this is important to us. And so there's this, and, and what the game master did is he actually split us up, right? So so me and the first officer were in one room, and the rest of the group were in another room. And so we were because like we were like, the characters were isolated, but then he physically isolated us. So like we could hear them arguing back and forth, what do we do? Because clearly our captain and first officer are not our people, they're aliens mm -hmm. or something that have possessed them. And are our people being held against their will? Is this willingly? Like what's happening? What's going on here? And so just that physical dynamic of having us in separate rooms really changed the uh, the tone of the of the of that episode, which was cool. It was different. Cool. It, it kind of shook us up a little bit. Um but I, I think uh, that's amazing that you can you can do that only with RPG is where you yeah. can mm -hmm. hear these debates and and you could right. be sitting there like uh, uh, it's just yeah. 
And I mean, even you could do that now, right? Because you could like Zoom, you can you can do yeah. breakout rooms. <laughs> so you could literally yeah. break out half the group in one room. And I mean, not that you want to do that really, because like I think as a player, I would have liked to have been in that room just to listen mm-hmm. to the conversation and just to watch people freaking out about Agreed. what they're gonna do. And like because like there was a power vacuum, right? Because they didn't know who was gonna be the, the second officer. So they're like, who's in charge? What's going on? Oh my god. Uh, but yeah, so that, I think that was probably my favorite my favorite first contact, partly because we managed to figure it out and uh and we turned it around and um and and we saved some lives and then the rest of the crew that wanted to actually commit suicide um you know drove themselves into the sun so there was a happy ending <laughs> of sorts to that um but that was a really cool first i mean that was a really good moral dilemma on top of some other you know set dressing uh that again you know after, like you said michael after 30 odd years still resonates see and that's that's, that's, that's the power of the, of this collaborative storytelling that I honestly don't get from any other game. Like I've mm-hmm. played a lot of D and D in my day, not to pick on D and D. I've played a lot of Marvel superheroes. I've played a lot of Torg. Um, I've I've played. I've dabbled in the world of darkness, and like I've had fun playing all those games. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like like bedrock memory foundational type stuff that has like shaped me to who I am to some extent, mm-hmm. uh, Star Trek's the only RPG that's done that I by, so by by a mile. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, yeah. I still I still have stories of the pioneer that I tell every year at conventions. Yeah, yeah, and that's the <laughs> tricky thing. Like now that I'm the you know I'm in this exalted position as the program manager, like how the hell do you distill all of that into a book to explain it to new people coming into the game who may only know D and D or may not even know Star Trek, may not know games at all? And they're like, mm-hmm. well, I want to play a game with my friends, and I don't want to just bash stuff and take treasure and get the monty hall thing going on like what what is this like what can i do with it mm-hmm. and they hear anecdotally that it's complicated and it's hard and there's a meta currencies and all this stuff and it's like if i could just take that 40 years of experience and just like mm-hmm. make it easy like how do you make it easy and that's the that's the magic bullet that we'll need to figure out here one of these days <laughs> the, the thing that i always fall back to is in the basic D&D rulebook, the first one I ever looked at. Yeah. Like in the first two paragraphs, it comes out and says, if a rule doesn't work, don't use it. Mm. And I have, I have made that a code with, you know, new, new GMs in particular. Like, mm. you know, if it's not working, just leave it aside until you can figure it out later. Because otherwise it's going to bog down your table and people are going to get frustrated. You don't want that. You know, yeah. it's about fun. Let them enjoy the game. Hey, if you goof, let them know. Talk mm-hmm. about it later. But for right now, if they're having a good time, run with it. That's what matters. That's what matters. I mean, again, I only use dice when when there's a chance of failure and it'll really mm-hmm. add some sort of narrative fun to the game. Mm-hmm. And believe me, we when we throw dice, sometimes we have times where it's really bad oh, <laughs> and we laugh. And, you know, oh. we, we just laugh. It's like, oh, this is just a really bad situation yeah. but that that's the point you know troy i think one of the coolest things is i uh for star trek adventures and jim you know kudos to again you and modifius is to be an avid player but then also to be a writer mm-hmm. um you get to pass that passion on and then again as jim was complimenting you you spearheading um you know at conventions and things like that i know uh you know i'll just go ahead and compliment you and if i'm going to start with gratitude today is it gratitude time i think it's about gratitude time i actually have i actually have uh if if troy if you have time to hang for a little bit longer i do have one question for you that i that i wanted to ask tonight 
Um, and I'm comfortable, you know, fitting it in wherever. But if we're getting close to the do end, it now. Right now, do it now. Go uh, for it. My question for you, Ty, uh, for, for question for you, Troy, is um, what what was the appeal for playing a Romulan? Um, um, believe it or not, I actually played a Romulan back in Fossa. I, mm-hmm. I, I actually picked up the Romulan supplement that they had, and I, I created a Romulan security officer. And when Star Trek Adventures came out, it was like, well, it'd be kind of fun to do that again. And I, I never thought I'd get the chance. So I came on to Pioneer, and I was playing the security officer at the time, uh, genetically engineered uh, security officer. And the person who was playing Jalel, who was first officer at the time, uh, was going to step away. And Michael asked me, oh, hey, are you comfortable taking on Jalel and, you know, uh, Gavin? Sure. Yeah, I can do that. And he clicked. You know, I was like, okay, there, you know, we, I went back and I was reading through stories and stuff. And I'm like, there's really not a whole lot to him yet. Mm-hmm. So I just started kind of diving into, you know, Romulan history, you know, Romulan upbringing. What was he like? And just slowly over time, you know, was, was building him up. And by the time, um, I became full time with him. Uh, Gavin had left the ship. I was I was hooked on. I'm like, I I I I want to know more about this man. I this is somebody that I've come to care about, mm-hmm. and he's so different. And at the same time, I was starting to see that I was putting myself into him, mm-hmm. you know, and drawing out parts of him that I wish I could draw more of myself. Hmm. And since that time, he led the saving of Romulus and Remus from the Hoba supernova. <laughs> I mean, yes, so, so the character has ascended in my opinion. I'm like, I, I, we talk about it all the time. I wish we could write a novel around this character because oh it is the story of Romulus. And, and we, I think I've talked about this Jim before is Many people ask for a Romulan source book or something like that, but they don't realize oftentimes that there's Romulans have purposely been written mysterious in Star Trek to keep them yep. mm-hmm. uh, to keep people afraid of them. And so right. what what we were able to do with Star Trek Adventures was, you know what? Let's answer all the questions in our game and let's mm-hmm. create why the Romulans are how they are. And it's been a fascinating adventure. And again, Troy is the player. He tells me kind of where it wants to go. Mm-hmm. And then I try to throw in as many surprises as possible from his past, his, <laughs> his, his you know, old yeah. colleagues, old enemies, animosities, racism, bias, even from Federation mm-hmm. and Starfleet officers who kind of view him as a token, but don't want him to move ahead. So it has a lot of correlation with modern life and, and some of our uh, more marginalized populations. And so we deal with a lot of those issues, which I think is just wonderful. And the group does well handling these issues, too. In this oh, very much so. There are so many times that I kind of look around, you know, and Aaron and Al and you, and I'm just kind of going, I don't know if I fit. <laughs> you know, like Aaron, Aaron will get talking and I'll just be like, I don't even know how to look that up. <laughs> you know, it, it's just crazy. And him and Al will start going back and forth with the science stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, but your <laughs> character. We asked my way through it, you know. Yeah, for those who don't know, and uh, you know, of course, we post all the stories. But his character Jalil was mentored by both Spock during the time of the uh, reunification and Picard. So his character is a very classical 
type character. I mean, really could probably speak even in Shakespearean English and pull it off. Um, and <laughs> as that's such a juxtaposition from some of the other characters on the ship. Um, it's really interesting, actually fascinating. Yeah, and, and so, so I want to pick at that a little bit more, though. I want to, I want to keep digging here. So, so I mean, clearly you've done what research you could because, like, there's not a huge amount of Romulan mm-hmm. lore out there. I mean, you can watch yeah. episodes of the original series in Next Gen and really pick out the handful of Romulan episodes and, and like just try to infer what you can from those. Uh, like, I know there are some decent standout uh, Romulan related episodes, but there aren't that many. Right. No. And um, like there's certainly secondary literature that we can go to, mm-hmm. like the, the source books and the some of the novels, of course. Um, but just like in terms of the stuff that you've looked at to that, um, uh, you know, again, like what was it about specifically a Romulan that appealed to you? Like, obviously, you've had the opportunity to add your own flavor to it and, and, and do some world building on your own. But uh, like from a from a layman's perspective, <laughs> right, you would you would see that the Romulans, I mean, have clearly lived in the franchise as an adversary primarily like you have the Cardassians and the Klingons and the Romulans have been the primary adversaries for the bulk of the bulk of the series. Of course, the Klingons got rehabilitated in next gen to some extent and, uh, and got different perspectives, but the Romulans have consistently been kind of the, kind of the, not to say bad guys, but they've been very adversarial and isolationist and, uh, and secretive and uh, you know, in certain circumstances, quite vicious. Right. And And I, I think that's, that's actually what kind of appealed to me about it. Yeah. Because uh, like like in the forward that or the uh, blog that I wrote for uh, Mysteries, yeah. that was kind of my first tabletop role playing, you know, advanced course, if you will, was my brother throwing mysteries at me. Mm-hmm. And watching Star Trek I was like, you know, the Klingons, I mean, hey, they wear it on their sleeve, man. There's nothing mysterious about them. Right. You know, the Romulans, on the other hand, you're constantly asking yourself, why why are they this way what what's you know what's in their history what's in their personalities that make this what are they so afraid of mm-hmm. you know because we actually had a discussion on the facebook page somebody said you know well uh, the romulan empire is so small on the map i said it makes perfect sense mm-hmm. i said the romulans are you know i don't want to call them paranoid because they're not quite that extreme but the further you spread a border, the harder it is to defend. If you've got a tight core, you can defend it from all angles and not have to pull resources so far. Mm-hmm. And so that very much fits into the Romulan mentality, us against the universe. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I, I wanted to delve into, yeah. was what makes these people tick? We also delved into... That, an angle which I encourage people to explore because I'm not a fan of Vulcans. I know that sounds weird, but I'm not a fan <laughs> of Vulcans. Ever since Enterprise, I really haven't liked them. And I said, wait a second, they're manipulators. They're holding humanity back. So that always kind of pissed me off. But I, we've written in our game where the Vulcans are kind of running their, we know about the Vulcan um, separatist, um, isolationist movement, mm-hmm. that, that they've been they're like, we're not going to stop the Federation, but what we are going to do is not going to let ourselves be having a bad name. We're never going to let the Romulans tell bad secrets about us <clears throat> that caused them to separate from us in the first place. So mm-hmm. they always are kind of working against any kind of unification agenda. And so we made the Vulcans the villains. 
in yeah, this. Season, um, season four, they were pretty much our, the main villain. I mean, aside from the chef, but you know, she's yeah, always- yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but so, so that was fun taking a much loved species like the Vulcans mm-hmm. and showing, you know what? They're actually not that good either. They have they're, dirt. They're, that, there's a dark side. They want to sweep under the rug and they call that dirt mm-hmm. Romulans. And that's bias and prejudice and influencing political yep. decisions. And yep. so he, of course, being the only Romulan captain, took the brunt of that bias and hatred, which was interesting. Interesting. Okay, well, that's great. That's a great perspective. I appreciate that. Uh, and then I guess I'll ask one last follow-on question, and then we can go on to, to gratitude or whatever. But uh, given that both of you are clearly experienced, I mean, we're all experienced game masters, but both of you have clearly a lot of experience game mastering. And because you have this great experience with Jalal, Jalal uh, and the, that whole Romulus perspective, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this at you again, and it's obvious <laughs> what I'm doing. Uh, but uh, uh, if you were to uh, to run a, like a full on Romulan campaign, like what would you do? Um, yeah, I think your, what I would your entire group is Romulans. No, I would. Uh, uh, number one, I'd probably glom on to the era between uh, the original series and Next Generation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's untouched, it's unexplored. We don't know what happened during those seventy some years. Mm-hmm. so that gives you a blank slate mm-hmm. and then you use the culture you know as the backdrop you know how did the Tal Shiar become ascendant you know because it was the imperial fleet you know the imperial military had the power in the Roman Empire why did that change what happened you know and and those are some themes that I would explore as this ship or this crew was dealing with whatever situation was happening on the far end of the Romulan Empire. They're also watching their backs because heaven only knows what's going on back on Romulus, you know, with themselves and even their families. You know, you screw up and all of a sudden your family gets disappeared. We actually touched on it. And Troy, I know you'll remember it, but we played for the Shackleton Expanse campaign because remember the Romulans butt up against the Shackleton Expanse in the Mm -hmm. campaign map. And they were transported into the TOS era and they, the crew, five of them were Romulans. Mm -hmm. And that we did two different episodes where they were in the bodies, even meeting the enterprise, meeting the crew, but they had to play like Romulans because they were transported back in time. And I actually fell in love with the idea of, wow, why not have a Romulan campaign exploring Mm -hmm. the Shackleton expanse, trying to hoard resources before the Federation gets their hands on it. You could run through the entire Shackleton campaign book as Romulans, and that would be so fascinating to me. <laughs> and, and even the dissident-minded, you know, yeah. the ones that do just want to explore. They mm-hmm. want to know what's out there. Okay, fine. Send me out to the frontier. I don't care. I don't want to be around Romulans because it drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. You know, let me go out there and explore. That's what I want. I think the best treatment I think Romulans ever got to, for those who really want to say, wow, this is the most we've learned about the culture is Picard season one. Picard season one, you know, there's a lot of debate about it. I liked it a lot because it had so much Romulan in it. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the, whether it's the to- toys that kids have to play with that are boxes and secrets between things, mm-hmm. um, their language, you know, the the um, Bosch. Ah, give me the Zad name. Bosch. What, pardon me? Not Bosch. Zadvash, yeah, you know, the 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 assassin guild, you know, like there was so much in there. That's what woke me up to, oh, there are there are 
they're a conundrum behind an enigma behind that. But the whole reason they have to bury themselves in mystery is because yeah. Vulcans are out to get them. And so if anyone who's building Romulan culture, have fun with it. And if it's mysterious, then obviously you're really role playing well. <laughs> you don't have answers. It's not that you don't have answers. It's just that things yeah. are wrapped in secret. So that's why we played it in our game. And, and I don't know if I'm allowed to shout out, you know, um, an internet resource. But uh, yes, there please. is the uh, the Romulan Institute, and I can't remember the web address, but just look up Romulan Institute. It's got Romulan language, it's got Romulan naming conventions, culture, the whole nine yards. And well, in fact, uh, Aleph, that word that he uses when he talks to Athena, you know, meaning my beloved, actually came from that webpage. That's cool. Yeah. To your question, Jim, make it what you want, right? Mm-hmm. I think. I oh, think. Go go ahead. No, I, I, I'm agreeing with you. Oh yeah, and and the reason say, I'm saying to you, it's a long shot. I'm going to say something that's a total long shot, but not an impossibility anymore. And again, I'm talking because of Clear Skies and Thomas Maroney and all the stuff that they're doing in the game is that if there's a small percentage person, small percentage possibility, and Jackson Lansing too. I got to talk about Jody Hauser. These are all people who are playing Star Trek RPG, mm-hmm. and decades later. It's actually getting translated into comic books and into video games and into the TV shows. So mm-hmm. create your ideas in the gaming environment with your writer. I call my group the writer's workshop. We're all writing. <laughs> yep. and we don't know where it's going to end up. This game is just totally raw and beautiful for that. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I guess my closing thought would be like, you know, sure, absolutely. Play a Romulan campaign, play a Cardassian campaign, play, mm-hmm. uh, play a Jem'Hadar game, play... Uh, I don't know a uh, a Zindi campaign, whatever, and, and you know, go whatever direction you want. Who cares, right? No one's going to stop you. But you know, try to keep it somewhat Star Trekky, right? Like find right. some of those values that apply, and like put that lens on it. And because, uh, yep. like, uh, uh, you know, we don't want to be. <laughs> well, I don't want to necessarily encourage murder hobos in Star Trek, but no. uh, you know, just, well, just that that was the big challenge that I had when I wrote um, the Klingon adventure that I wrote. Mm-hmm. Like, how do I do Klingons, but stay true to that spirit. It's yeah. kind of almost, you know, counter to each other, but mm-hmm. you know, it, it, you know, it makes you think. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. Right. We can go on that about this, but uh, I think we're probably about due to uh, jump into, we'll have to have it. We'll have to get you on the show again. And we can talk into more depth about some of this, some of this cool stuff. Uh, you're yeah. sparking all kinds of ideas, which I always appreciate. But uh, Michael, you want to kick us off with some uh, some gratitude? Yeah. So my gratitude, you know, um, you know, recently I I had a new a new module come out, eight layers deep, and in there I gave gratitude to the people I played superhero at RPG with for so many years because they inspired me. And I have to say, um, for Jalil and the crew you're leading in our game, uh, the USS Pioneer, you've inspired me beyond measure. I mean, even to the point where some of the stories are so good, I'm regretting that I should have saved them for a comic book in the future. <laughs> and so uh, it's a privilege. I know, you know, for any of us who've gamed or any of us who game master for years, having a solid, consistent group is one of the best blessings you could ever have. So I'm gonna give my shout out to Jalil and your fantastic crew. Of players that you take such a wonderful leadership role in. Thanks. And uh, uh, Troy, what's your uh, gratitude for tonight? Um, I It's going to be a mutual admiration society here. Um, <laughs> uh, number one, you know, very grateful to you, Jim, Sam Webb, for giving me the opportunity in the first place, you know, to contribute 
in whatever form I can. And to um, Michael for bringing me on and introducing me to all these amazing people. But in reality, the pioneer, Jalel, that crew would not be nearly what they are without the genius behind the story, you know, behind the camera, if you will, the director, you know, he's directing it, he's producing it, he's telling the story. We're just simply characters in it and reacting to what's happening. And that's what makes it brilliant is the story. It takes two to tango. <laughs> Jim, thank you, Trey. Uh, well, I'll close out the trifecta of the Mutual Admiration Society, and and thank you, Troy, for uh, for for seven years for being with the game from the very beginning in the playtest. Um, I'm pretty confident your name's in the in the core book as a playtester yeah. uh, on the uh, on the ship, and um, the the just just being reminded that you consistently run the game at conventions. You're you're converting new players. You're getting people into the game. You're you're showing them your passion every time you run the game, right? Because I mean, obviously, game mastering is a is is something you have to be passionate about because why would anybody want to do this? <laughs> yeah, why would anybody want a game master if you didn't love it? So, uh, so uh, thank you for it was very specifically since you're here. I mean, very specifically, thank you so much for all the work you've done for the game, uh, the unheralded work that you've done. I know there's that you are not the only one. Certainly, there's other game masters out there doing the same mm-hmm. thing. But uh, just to hear it from you and to hear your passion and and to see it in your writing too. That's always the joy of a of an editor is to see it in the writing. And to get to uh, get to get to uh, to tweak it. I mean, honestly, um, both of you are good writers. I don't have to do a lot of copy editing on your stuff. It's pretty pretty solid. I, I give you some notes and give you a little mm-hmm. bit of directional here and there, but uh, you know, you, you got the, like the ninety five percent solution right off the bat. And that makes my job super easy, right? <laughs> and I can, I can send it to Paramount, and they have zero notes because they they love what we're doing with all of our all of our stuff. Like they they just enjoy reading all the new stories because they love Star Trek, right? They love sure. Star Trek like we do. And they just love reading all the new stories and then just like seeing what happens when it goes out to the to the fan base. So thank you for all of that. I uh, really appreciate it. And then I would be remiss if I didn't thank all the fans, right? All the fans that we don't get on the show that are out there playing the game, running the game, uh, converting fans, playing it, checking it out. Um, especially that, and of course they're not going to see this because they're not they're not online. There's a, <laughs> there's absolutely got there's got to be a huge contingent of gamers that are out there in the world playing the game, enjoying the game. And just not checking in online. They're not involved in mm-hmm. any of the Facebook communities, any Discord, whatever. They're just out there in their world playing the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, there are days I wish we could get some visibility on them just to see what they're doing. But uh, uh, grateful for them all the same, and grateful for all the fans online because uh, we have such an incredible fan base. And it's no short, uh, you know, thanks to uh, Michael and your uh, continuing conversations, your continuing mission website. Uh, the fact that you have such a, a robust website full of great fan material is what every game needs. And mm-hmm. it, that's just an example of the, of the healthy fan base. I know that back in the day, I was really involved in the um, uh, the last Unicorn Games uh, web kind of thing. And then the, the Decipher Track, the Coda Track, there's a couple of websites mm-hmm. and forums for that too, that I was really involved in and a part of. And it was great to have that community um, as the internet was growing and, you know, we didn't have Twitter and we didn't have uh, what we have now, but now we do. And, and Star Trek Adventures is taking advantage of that. And both of you are right on that. You're on all the same forums I'm on. So I see your guys' names pop up all the time. And it's just great to have this, uh, the, the, this connections and friendships and stuff that's happening. So just grateful for all that, too. So, um, yeah, all awesome. good. Very good. The mission continues. And again, for all you fans who, and GMs who are listening to this, 
always send us your stuff. We love posting on continuing missions. Believe me, in 20 years, you'll be happy we put it up there when you lose a data drive or your computer breaks down. It'll be on continuing <laughs> missions, all your stories, and oh, we get to celebrate the infinite diversity and infinite combination of stories and imaginations. IDIC. <laughs> uh, live long and prosper. Be safe. Be well. We'll talk to you next time. Joel on true.